Welcome back to another select episode of the Learning Futures podcast. Today we are going to be rewinding the clock back to our conversation with Ruth Wiley, Dana Henriksen, and Maricel Lawrence from June 14th, 2022 on the topic of futures thinking. This episode covers what we mean when we say futures thinking and how we categorize the different types of possible futures we envision, as well as the role it plays in the education system and how to develop what we call a futures mindset. There's a lot of exciting ground to cover today. So without further ado, this has been Jacob Snyder and now on with the show. You're listening. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to the Learning Futures. The podcast. Learning Futures. The podcast. Learning Futures podcast. You're listening to the Learning Futures podcast. Welcome to the first episode of season four of the Learning Futures podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Sean Leahy, and with me in this virtual recording studio is my colleague, Dr. Clarin Collins. Hi, Clarin. Hello. How are you? Good. Good to see you and slash hear you. And (laughs) we're in this wonderful virtual um, studio, which is a lot of fun. You know, and first of all, we should probably mention, too, Ron is not gone, uh, but he's in some kind of, I don't know, he's in a secret location doing a bunch of secret stuff, and uh, he wishes he could be here, and he will join us again um, sometime in the near future. But that said, we are, we're not alone today, Claren, are we? We sure are not. <laughs> you know, so for today's show, we are absolutely thrilled to kick off this um, season four with a roundtable discussion, exploring the ins, the outs of futures thinking um, and learning futures and trying to understand what it is, how it works, and how you might be able to enable this in your organization or in your context. And to help us do that, we're joined today by a wonderful panel of scholars and practitioners um, from the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College here at ASU. Um, and so without, I guess, any more delay, let's just go ahead and jump right into our introduction. So uh, let me first introduce, um, and maybe I can, as I go around, each of, each of you can just give a brief introduction of, of what you actually do. I've pulled the first line or so from your official uh, title or byline, but uh, it'd be wonderful to hear in your words sort of, what does that, what does that actually mean? So in no particular order, let's just get started with Dr. Dana Henriksen, who is an associate professor in the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College, researching creativity across multiple areas of education with a focus on creative teaching practices and skills, as well as creative thinking. Welcome, Dana. Can you tell us, first of all, say hi and tell us what does that actually mean? What do you do? Well, hi, Sean, and hi, everyone. It's really nice to be with you all today. Um, I am um, a researcher studying and focusing on creativity and education. I'm interested really broadly in pretty much all areas of creativity and innovation in life and thinking and learning and especially education. Um, But specifically, I I often focus on teaching practices and educational technology. There are several threads of my research that connect also to design thinking and well-being in education. The thing that I love about studying creativity is that it is such a broad interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary uh, concept that touches on all areas of life and work and thinking. So it gives me the opportunity to be the dabbler that I am and look <laughs> at a lot of different things. But I would say much of my work looks at creative teaching and then with some specific threads around design thinking and well-being or mindfulness as well and creativity. Oh, so, yeah. yeah thank excellent. You. Welcome. Um, all right. And let's now let's turn to Dr. Ruth Wiley, who is the assistant director of the Center for Science and the Imagination and an associate research professor in the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College. Um, I think I can probably speak for everybody when I say we need to hear more about what it what it is you do at this place called the Center of Science and the Imagination. Yeah, thank you so much. And I'm so excited to be here today for this conversation. So at the Center for Science and the Imagination, our mission is to ignite the collective imagination for a better future. And so we do that through a number of research and public outreach projects where we bring together people from lots of different disciplines to explore possible futures and then to think about what are the pathways that we can turn those into reality. Wow, very very nice. I'm, I'm, I'm sure everyone is also just dying to hear, we wanna peel more into, into, exactly, into exactly that. Um, and then last but certainly not least, I'd like to introduce uh, Maricel Lawrence, who, is an, who also has a very interesting uh, title, an innovation catalyst, you're going to need to explain that, um, at Purdue University Global. 
um, and who is also uh, a doctoral student uh, in our program, our, our EDD program here in leadership and innovation. Um, so thank you so much for being here. And yeah, please, what, what exactly is an innovation catalyst? Thank you, Sean, for inviting me to the podcast and uh, thank you for the community to uh, participating in this discussion. So an innovation catalyst, I love the title. I think it, it actually um, starts the conversation, right? So when I'm introducing myself and I say, I'm an innovation catalyst, people say, well, what does that mean? What, what do you do? And um, in a nutshell, I bring people together to think about new ideas, to move the university forward, and to innovate. I also think about an innovation catalyst as somebody that brings people together to the to meet at the intersection of the future of education and the future of work. Uh, we're constantly thinking about what are the skills that we need to teach our students to prepare them for the future opportunities that they're going to be looking into their careers. So that's in a nutshell what I do as an innovation catalyst. Oh, very exciting. Yeah, I wonder too, like, yeah, that's kind of fun. As a catalyst, you kind of get to just literally, as the name might imply, you get to get in there, start things up, get things moving, um, and, and, and kind of keep on going. So excellent. Well, so yeah, so let's go ahead and, and get started. So one thing, you know, as Claren and I were sort of putting everything together for today, I think we have we have so many points and questions and topics that we could explore around this idea of futures thinking. But I think, you know, we've brought this amazing panel together today to talk about exactly that, futures thinking, and in sort of the way that it is critical to our broader discussion around learning futures. I think, I think perhaps you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think futures thinking is often a term uh, that's misunderstood or sometimes used um, in practice without even knowing that you're doing it. And it's important for individuals and, and we'll kind of walk through this idea of exploring what it is and kind of talking about it, but also thinking about its importance to individuals and organizations, large or small, for them to be able to engage with and able to discuss ways or suggestions that uh, we can enable futures thinking in our own context. So perhaps we can just kind of back up from here and start by defining what it is when we what we mean when we say futures thinking. As we mentioned, you know, it, it can be confusing or, or even mystifying right from the start. Um, so I think there's some real value in first exploring the differences between perhaps how we might define thinking about the future versus futures thinking. So I'll just kind of drop it out there if anyone wants to kind of take a first first response or a first stab at how, what do we mean? How do we define futures thinking? Or how do you define it in your particular context or area? So, Sean, I wanted to add that we have been talking a lot about learning futures at Arizona State University, especially in the teacher's college here. And you yourself identify as a futurist. But myself, I have not really heard of futures thinking or futurists. And so we were intentional with inviting these three guests here today. And so I think um, as we get some context around this, the definitions are certainly important. But knowing that that's kind of the glue and the intentionality between inviting these three guests here today is because each of you we have identified, and I hope you identify as well, as being in that space of futures thinking. I can jump in if that's okay, yeah, or uh, Dana yep. or Marcel, you want to start? I think the question of futures thinking is a really important one because there's not a single definition. But one thing I want to talk about or to mention before we hear from the others about how they define it is to talk about what futures thinking is not, and particularly about futures thinking is not pulling out the crystal ball and making specific predictions. And I think that often when we talk about futures thinking, that people tend to think about it as predictions or what stock they should buy to, to get rich. And in the work that I do, that is not at all what futures thinking is. But what it is, is it's a set of practices and it's a set of methodologies that both individuals can, can engage in, like you mentioned, Sean, but also communities can engage in mm -hmm. to think about possible futures and to think about what are their values today? What are their histories? And how might those unfold into possible futures? And then start to think about what are the specific steps that can be taken to realize those? And, uh, and it is a tool of critique and to do, again, it can be used as an individual, but in community groups to be intentional about the futures that we want to have. Yeah, I think that's, that's I mean, that's spot on. 
Um, thank you, Ruth. I, I mean, I think, you know, that's one of those, these, these main components, right, is the first step of defining what, what it is, is to say what it is not, right? It is not predicting the future, that it's this mindset and philosophy that's tied to these methodologies of, of investigating and trying to plan towards these, these other futures. Yeah, I love that because th- that defining something or, or starting a conversation about what something is by what it is not is useful for kind of cutting off some misconceptions and preconceptions that people can hold in their mind, especially when you hear a term like futurism or future casting or futurist. It can it can take on a tone that's a little um, sci-fi, and I, I love sci-fi, um, but it can also take on a tone that's a little bit like um, are you trying to foresee or predict the future or a little um, uh, fortune-telling kind of vibe to it? But it's, it's really the idea of it as, as an academic discipline or a set of practices or um, intentional ways of thinking that can help you to plan for the um, distant and not so distant future is really powerful. And I, for, for, the, for the longest part of my creativity research career, I don't think I was all that familiar with the term futurism or futures thinking. Um, Even though now when I look at it, creativity is all entirely consumed with the idea of the futures. Creativity is about creating something that is new or novel or fresh and original um, that has value or effectiveness for others. It's often um, tied up with problem solving and, and innovation to address some of the big challenges that we face. So creativity is all about preparing or planning or solving um, or addressing problems for the future, for a future that doesn't exist yet. And it's something that we really have to bring to bear when we start applying some of the futures thinking methodologies, because there's an element there of imagination that's that automatically comes along for the ride when you talk about the future, because um, one of the things that I always point out when I talk about one of the other areas of interest that I mentioned, mindfulness or well-being, is that the future doesn't exist yet. It's completely um, undetermined. So as we start, but, but being able to plan for it and think ahead for it, sometimes that long-term scale is something that's really powerful where you can help to define it, but it requires that element of creativity and innovation and imagination to kind of come together. So the when I first became acquainted with it, I started pulling it into um, a course that I teach on leadership because I think maybe one of the most powerful things for leadership and um, you know, mission statements, visioning, and really actually the planning and strategic work of leadership is the ability to deal with more than just what's right in front of you at this moment. And so often in education, we're just responding to the immediate crisis of the moment or whatever's happening right now and missing the opportunity to put some imagined um, academic, I don't know if it's academic press practices, if that's the way I should frame it, but imagined insight, I guess, into planning and preparing for futures um, that will inevitably become realities. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think that's, that's a great point. And I think what I really like, and I think we'll, we'll talk, you know, hopefully hear more too about the role of creativity and, and envisioning these elements and working towards what are these, what are these possible futures? But also, I mean, if you think about it, you know, to your point that you know, in the educational system, oftentimes it was just, it's so focused on the immediate crisis, the immediate thing that needs to be addressed or solved. Um, but if we think about one of the exciting elements of this, right, is that the, you know, one of the futures, that's the only space that we can actually like have agency to change, which is a really exciting space when you start to think about that. So, um, but Marisol, what, what are your thoughts about just broadly speaking, when we think about this, the term futures thinking what what does that what does that bring up for you or how do you sort of sort of react to just that that phrase or that term yeah so for me it's it's really interesting i, I started thinking about uh futures thinking and the practice of futures thinking about three to four years ago um when i was part of the university of montana and and we would really focus on how are we going to take the university forward um what are going to be our strategies to um face the different changes in, in, in the environment that we were living in uh, in Montana and, and everything that was happening around the world and the trends and, and so on. So that was really when I was introduced to to idea of, uh, of futures thinking. Um, when I started the doctorate degree at, at ASU and the reason why I actually selected um, to apply for this program is that I was looking for a degree that focused on 
um, innovation, but it would allow me to explore futures thinking in, in, in depth. And I actually, I listened to this podcast, uh, the full season, the first season, I remember back to back as I was thinking about the university and where I wanted to go. And, and I learned a lot from experts, right, that they were focusing on the, the future of education in general. And that got me going into research. And, and I read several descriptions of foresight, future thinking, future studies. There are so many different um, vocabulary that I would say that we use about futures thinking. And so today at Purdue Global, I have a, a strategic foresight team that is learning to uh, do the practice of, of foresight and, and futures thinking. And that's exactly what we're focusing on is to say, what can we do today to learn about the signals and trends of the future that they're going to help us imagine what the university is going to look like by 2035. That's the day that we're using at Purdue Global. What does the university need to do to support the students of 2035? And then look backwards and say, okay, from now, if that's the future that we want to create, what do we got to do to be able to accomplish that, right? And knowing that we can't predict the future, right? That they were going to be able to find other situations that, are, that we're going to encounter that because of the different type of futures that we saw, we're going to be able to be flexible um, and move directions because of what we're learning about the different futures. So to me, futures thinking is a, is a very practical approach to thinking about strategies on how do we move our institutions forward. Yeah, that's that's excellent. So, Claren, I'm I'm curious from your perspective. You know, as you are, you know, you had mentioned earlier that you are sort of new to just this, you know, this space of futures thinking. What from from someone who you know who identifies as being kind of new to it? What what does it do? Like, how do you respond to that? I think for me, listening to everybody explain their positionality within this and understanding what it means for you, it, it makes sense. I'm right there with you. I can I can understand. And so, in some ways, I feel like most research in education is designed with the intentionality of thinking about the next generation or how we can even make tomorrow better, right, in a classroom. So part of me thinks this is the intentional or the intentionality behind education research in the first place. However, I think post-pandemic, it's all been heightened because for the first time, I think people have more permission or just because necessity, uh, we're rethinking how to do things differently that maybe before we never could. So while in one way, I feel that it's always been the purpose or design of most education research, I feel like the intentionality has been turned up and more people are thinking about the future with less barriers and hopefully more opportunities for creativity than they felt were possible prior yeah, that's a really that's a that's a really good uh, interesting point. And I think you know when we talk about futures thinking, one of the things that and if you explore it, and, you know, because there are, for example, sort of more defined um, you know elements of it, right? That kind of set it apart as as an intentional act of looking towards sort of building these new these future scenarios or these these different futures as we call them. Um, you know that you can really see that some people are inherently doing some of this work. But one of the things I think that's interesting to explore is, and maybe this is, you know, in some ways sort of a call to action, right? As, as other people are, are perhaps listening to this and hearing about futures thinking for the first time, or someone who has been thinking about it, but wasn't quite sure, or, you know, all the way along to people who may be experts in it, but also thinking about how, you know, if, if they're engaged in educational research, how can they apply some of these futures thinking methodologies to that frame of work to really explore um, some of those future possibilities, because, you know, as we sort of look at it, right, one way of sort of defining it um, is that futures thinking is this act of evaluating emerging global trends and informing strategic plans based on handling future uncertainty in a system, um, as opposed to just saying, oh, you know, some very specific foreclosed um, element will take place. And if that takes place, what happens? And really allowing us to explore essentially um, these different these different possible futures, and then making those connections. And how do we 
you know, creating these roadmaps or, or the term sometimes gets used called backcasting, right? How do we, if we have this envisioned future, what steps, what things have to have to have to happen or take place in order for us to reach that desired outcome or even the opposite, right? If the, if the, if an imagined futures is this horrible dystopian existential, uh, you know, AI takes over the world kind of, you know, sci-fi scenario, you know, how do we make sure we don't end up there? Right. So working, um, working along, along those elements. And since we've sort of been talking a little bit about these, um, these futures, I, I think we should describe it. Cause I think that sometimes that's a piece of when we talk about futures thinking in general, that is a little bit mysterious or vague and because we're all, you know, every time I do a, a, a lecture or a workshop around futures thinking, I always have to, I always have one slide that's, that's always geared towards the plurality of futures. Um, people hear us talk about, we say futures, futures. Um, but I'm just to the panel here, just want to kind of open it up. Does anyone want to take a, you know, take a stab at sort of let's, let's define when we talk about these these possible futures? What are we talking about? I think this picks up on the conversation earlier about this not being about a specific prediction or one event, but it's really about a space of exploration of possibility. And so the idea being that we don't know what's going to happen, but by engaging in these methods, by engaging in this process, we're hopefully creating individuals or communities that are more resilient to whatever presents itself in the future. And so it's about being prepared for what comes next. It's about thinking about where you have agency, where you might not, but doing that in a deliberate way. But again, that the reason why we talk about it as futures plural is because there's a number of different and infinite amount of future experiences that could happen. And so again, it's not about planning specifically for one type of event, but it's about engaging in a process that encourages us to reflect on what do we want to see? How do we manifest our values of today and the futures that we build tomorrow and be prepared for whatever might come? I think that idea of um, sort of unlimited possibilities is really powerful. but And that's also kind of where it can feel a little mentally overwhelming to think about the future um, in the sense of we don't know what's going to happen. It hasn't um, been determined yet. And, and different possible paths or ways that we behave in the present or in the near future will determine um, this plurality of different ways and paths that we could take. And I always think about something, an idea, Sean, that you introduced to me when we had a conversation a couple of years ago for the, class, the leadership class I was teaching about future casting. Um, and I think I, I read an article on this topic of multiple possible futures and, and you shared a sort of framework for the ways, the one of the kind of concrete practices, which probably Maricel and Ruth know a little bit more about since they're actively working in these practices, but the idea of thinking about, well, how do we, th if there's this unlimited set of futures, one is, you know, that the future, one, range of paths um, is that the future is, could be better than we imagined. Maybe we solve climate change and, and improve inequities and, and all of the other big problems that are happening. The other is that the future is worse than we imagined and that it can go in you know, all sorts of wrong directions towards some sort of dystopia, like you mentioned. Another is that the future is weirder than we imagined, <laughs> um, that there's some I like that one. You know, absolutely bizarre thing that what kinds of weird, unforeseen unexpected um, possibilities could we foresee in that? And then the other one is sort of the the future is what we expect that we if we just kind of go along as we're going right now. So thinking about like, for me, sometimes thinking about these unlimited sets of paths and what could they look like if it's, what could it look like if it's better based on what we know is going on in trends today? What could it look like if it's worse? And, and then when you think about it's weirder than we imagined, what that's where creativity and imagination and sort of, um, thinking of the strange, trying to get your head out of the, um, get your head, your mind out of sort of the expected spaces and think about some of the really um, bizarre, but still possible things that could happen is maybe one thing. And I, like I said, I think uh, Maricel and Ruth are probably grounded in a lot of the practical techniques for this, as are you um, too, Sean, and can maybe speak a little bit more to that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, Dan, I, I really like the, I, I really like that, 
um, that way of, of phrasing it, that things are better, worse, or weirder. <laughs> I think that's, because I think that's a very tangible way to approach this as well. Like, I mean, yes, they are, you know, when we think about um, futures thinking as this, you know, set of tools and methodologies that are sort of born out of, you know, future studies that clearly defines the possible futures as, you know, and again, to your point, yes, and they are, there isn't, you know, um, uh, and, you know, uh, an unknowing number an infinite possibilities of what the future may hold. And as a result, there's so many variables, we can never sort of plot them all out, but we can. And as we were thinking about sort of these broader taking of, of a much higher viewpoint on issues or things like that, we can categorize those eventualities um, into sort of like three broad categories, right? We can think about probable futures. Um, these are These are outcomes that are closest in time to us plausible uh, outcomes, plausible futures. These are a little out of out of reach, a little unclear. Um, these are things that we could see happening if certain things take place. And then there's possible. And these are sort of those where it could get weird, right? These utopian, dystopian, farthest away, um, and often very hard to speculate. And we can even extrapolate those even farther. And so there's, so there's, um, you know, there's, there's these ideas of preposterous futures, right? Um, as well as the projected futures. But one of those elements that we think about all the time is this idea of preferable. And a preferable future, right, depending on, regardless of where it is in the timeline, um, in terms of how far out and things like that, that a preferable future is something that we aspire to. That's that better than. We want to reach this place um, and things like that. And then, and then of course, by by that same sort of creative experience too, let's think about those weird things. What are those unintended things? I mean, if you would ask people, I mean, I, Ruth, I know you do a lot of um, workshops and a lot of hands-on engagements with groups of people around, you know, building new worlds and really asking them to think creatively. I mean, it's amazing to think a few, just a few years ago, how when we would ask people to imagine these wild, unforeseen circumstances, something like the global pandemic we've all been living through for the last couple of years, that used to be one of these wild cards that was like, oh, that's, you know, how, how crazy that would be. Um, but I'm curious, just when you all are working with futures thinking in your own context, like what are some of those like fun or exciting or even challenging moments when you're trying to trying to get people to understand and start thinking about these possible futures? I'm going to volunteer Marcel to go first on that one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's it's been really interesting, right? To to work through a futures thinking workshop or an activity with um, people that don't have the experience, right? And, and, and we're bringing them into a situation that um, they haven't imagined yet. And I think this is of interest to me and, and part of what I'm hoping to research in my doctorate degree on how do we create uh, a futures mindset? Or how do we think about anticipatory competency, right? Um, because ultimately, what what I am, am thinking, right, as as we get through experiencing futures thinking, the, the way that we think about the activities that we do every day, it, it starts becoming different, right? And part of our conversations, for example, in our strategic foresight team, has been at the beginning trying to understand what all of this means. But the more we look into signals and we start seeing trends, we start thinking about, well, I was watching this movie the other day and I saw this strange thing and I think that's a signal for the future and, and, and they will bring it into the conversation, right? And it becomes a fun activity, right? And it might take a little bit of time to create this mindset, uh, this, this future's mindset. But I think I love that of, of them coming back and saying, I get it now. I, I see how this change. Um, I, I see how this is changing the way that I envision my future, or how I think the future of my kids. Um, so that that what that is something that I have uh, found really fun of of doing futures uh, uh, thinking with our team. I'll jump in on that a bit. Which Sean, something that you mentioned made me think about the workshops that we've done in the past two years as compared to the events that we did pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so one difference is, is probably obvious. Uh, we used to do a lot of these in person. We would fly somewhere or fly, fly people here. Yeah, right? Uh, and and I, I used to think that being co-located was part of the secret sauce and that 
the idea of being able to step away from your everyday for a whole day or sometimes several days was part of the essential elements of doing this future thinkings and world building for the projects that we were doing. And of course, the fact that we have been able to transition and do workshops in half a day to do them over Zoom, to do them with people around the world has caused me to rethink that and also opened a lot of opportunities. And the other thing that has really stood out to me as we look at the the methodologies we've employed is how much our current realities impact the way that we see the future. And again, in retrospect, this might be pretty obvious, but when we were doing futures thinking and world building workshops in uh, around January 6th, there was a lot more skepticism about possible futures than when we'd done them even the week before. And so the other thing I just want to hit on, and I'm, I'm curious if other folks want to jump in on this, is that while we're talking and we're framing these conversations around futures thinking, it's also really a way to look at our present reality, but by removing some of the constraints. So when we're talking about futures thinking and the work that we're doing, we're often doing it as a way to get people to act now and to get people to recognize the agency that they do have over their own futures or again, over their community's futures. And so while we're framing this as thinking about futures and thinking about possible and probable and preferred futures, what we're also doing is encouraging people to reflect on what actions can they take today or tomorrow in order to realize those. That kind of grounding it in the present, I think, is really valuable towards making it a little more accessible. Um, And it made me think about um, also picking up on Maricel's notion of mindset and the idea of getting people to kind of shift the mindset because a shift to a future's mindset is different from the way that we think as humans, which is to deal with whatever is in front of us. And it's often hard to get people to shift towards more creative thinking, especially if they've been kind of bound by constraints or um, just worrying about trying to get it, get things right right now or get the right answer. Um, And one of the ways that oftentimes we do get people to shift over time is by getting them to think about, um, A, putting them in situations that kind of are are a little different, a little more open-ended, gradually kind of getting them to shift that paradigm towards working with the idea that there's not always a right answer and that anything that um, sort of puts you in the immediate headspace of pressing for um, an open-ended approach, um, a little bit of manageable and accessible intellectual risk-taking can help to shift creative um, habits of mind over time, especially if you do it consistently. And that was also kind of making me think back to um, when I was sort of first learning about futures thinking. And I just lost the thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> so you're going to have to edit that out because I had a really good <laughs> thought. Shana. I lost That's it. Okay. I'll um, come back. I, I, think it'll, I think it'll come back. And Dana, you actually started going down the path of what my exact question is. Yeah. When, when I look at each of you and the even your titles or what you focus on, for example, Dana with your creativity, um, Marcel with innovation and Ruth with imagination. So as someone who considers myself more of a realist, Dana, you hinted on that point where people sometimes have a hard time thinking creatively. So my, my question to pose to each of you is, do you think learning futures or futures thinking is even possible without an element of creativity or imagination. And if that, I guess now I'm losing the pun of my question, but I just, I, th- I think that those, those traits are so necessary, but for someone like myself who has a hard time thinking creatively, especially when I watch my young children, how do you even begin to help people get into those spaces for maybe what would then become a more practical outcome. So how do you find the balance? Like, is it necessary? And then how do you find the balance between using innovation, imagination, creativity, and then thinking towards the future in a way that is something more operational? (laughs) Does that make sense? 
Yes, actually, that Claren, that's helpful because it brought Good. me back to what I was thinking, and I, I can um, finish that thread on creativity, and then let um, the others pick up on the the future centered practice and future centered mindset. Um, what we were talking about before about the idea of mindset shift, and it's the things that you do every day that can consistently shift your mindset. I have seen um, teachers in, you know, I used to teach a set of summer seminars at MSU where we were really trying to promote more creative thinking with and through technology. And oftentimes, if you just kind of throw a big open-ended project or a big kind of scary imagination activity at people, they'll kind of freeze up a little bit. Um, But if you can kind of take small steps with it over time and keep opening the path up, eventually people's way of thinking and and working shifts. So so by the end of the summer, it was like, yeah, this is how we work. We do quick fire activities. We do open-ended projects. The rubrics are not super clear and defined because, um, you know, there's, there's a very broad set of constraints that we're working with. And within that, there's a lot of possible right answers. And there, I did, we did see this mindset shift um, with the sort of regular, consistent practice and things that kind of help people to think differently over time. But it's oftentimes, um, you know, people often talk about beliefs changing behaviors, but oftentimes it's the opposite where behaviors can change beliefs over time and can shift mindset. So if you can, at least from the perspective of creativity, and I think futures too, if you can kind of get in the habit of working with these practices regularly, then you can, I think, open up your mind and open up and change how you think. Oftentimes, um, then it's something that kind of scaffolds your thinking throughout the day, as Maricel pointed to, coming up with, uh, you know, watching a movie and seeing something that's interesting. I remember um, the first time I heard the former presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, talk about um, uh, universal basic income. Well, he wasn't calling it universal basic income, but he was, he, that was what, that was the concept. Um, It sort of suddenly brought the future into the present for me because I had been listening to podcasts where people who were talking about AI and shifts in work and society talked about the coming need for a universal basic income. So you're able to kind of make all these connections and see sort of um, the future, you know, showing up and the the possibilities for it in the present if you've been gradually exposed to things that shift your mindset over time. I know I took too long for that, so I'm going to <laughs> shut up and let the others talk. Sorry, never, you can cut. Never. <laughs> um, no, Dana, as you were talking about that, I mean, I'm literally I'm sitting here in my chair, like bouncing up and down, like, oh, there's so many cool things to talk about. Um, I, mean, I mean, to that end, I, you know, I think that that's one of those really interesting pieces that you touch about how it kind of all of a sudden can spark these moments where you can start to see, you know, again, we talk about this stuff, and you can when you talk about it in like a in a methodology or in a in a in a tool set, it can be like, yeah, okay, clink, clink, clink. Okay. We've, we've dropped these things in order, but when you can have one of those moments that sparks where you can see how these things are. So like you just mentioned, you, you noticed, and suddenly you're thinking about this, this trend, right? This, this thing, this disruption that's coming, this concept of universal basic income paired with technological advancements, artificial intelligence, and using those to automate, you know, jobs and and reduction of human workforce. And what does that mean? And then suddenly you start to see these connections where you can start to build one of those futures where you're like, whatever your context might be, maybe we're just, even if we just grounded in higher education, right? If you think about, okay, so we have a reduced amount of workforce in the future as a result of technological innovation, which requires the use of some sort of universal basic income system um, to keep, you know, money and things like that in people's pockets. But then you can start extrapolating and asking those other questions. Well, like, well, what happens to, you know, traditional four-year degree enrollments if everyone has a universal basic income where they may not need a college degree to attain a certain, you know, economic status or level that they once did based on these other offsets? Does How would that work? Would that change this? And then you can start thinking like, well, what would that happen? What would that mean? Um, and all those kind of sort of questions then start spiraling out of those. And again, coming back to that, I, I really like that way that you had phrased it. We're going to write those, what would be better? What would be worse? And what would just be downright bizarro, crazy, weird? Um, and then you can really start thinking about those. And that, for me, I've always found working with people um, that when you can kind of spark that, suddenly the eyes light up and then futures thinking becomes this really engaging, fun um, process to go through. To pick up on that, I think that future thinking is also a method to evoke creativity in people. That, like we've talked about, 
you can't imagine the future without being creative. It, that's that's part of the process. And so it's a prompt, it's a method by by phrasing, by simply putting out the question, what do you want to see in the future? How might this impact you? How might this impact your community? We're engaging in that practice of being creative. And so uh, again, I think that it's almost impossible to, to engage in this. You know, I'm sure someone can prove me wrong on this, but uh, it's that's inherent in the design is to evoke that creativity and to invite people to ask what if. Yeah. And I'm just be curious because I think, you know, Ruth, I think that's, I think that's a really good point and that we've been talking about, you know, as we think about, you know, future thinking requires that creative mindset and a creative mindset requires us to be able to think. But one thing that's often, I think, interesting is if you look at different groups and so, uh, you know, in, in Marcel, I don't know what, in terms of when you are conducting the strategic foresight methodologies with your team, you know, one that I use quite common is this idea of like this, this strategic time cone or the cone of time um, where, you know, on the left-hand side, it's very narrow and it broadens out onto the right-hand side. Um, and often that's one of the hardest things to get participants who are especially new to this idea is to suddenly have that freedom to think creatively and think beyond what we sort of talk about as like the tactical trap of thinking about, you know, that, that one to two years kind of time frame um, is very easy and very comfortable for people. But as you start pushing out five years, 10 years, 20 years, hundred, you know, up to a hundred years or something, that's really where you see people, especially like older adults, for example, having, they're, they're much more um, conservative with their estimates or they, they're much harder versus if you're working with younger kids, let's say in a K-12 environment, you know, you ask a kindergartner about the future and they'll talk for 20 minutes straight without taking a breath about all the cool and amazing things that they can envision um, in the future. So I just would be curious about, about that piece and how you see or how anybody sees this sort of this role and, and perhaps maybe shifting the, our, our conversation here a little bit too about thinking about you know, now we've, we've done a pretty good job, I think, you know, as a group here, sort of describing and defining kind of what it is and kind of a little bit of how it works. But I think I would be very curious to sort of explore, um, you know, kind of as we move in this, how do we see the role of futures thinking like this in the school, in the educational system? Sean, I'll, I'll answer a little bit here for, for that specific question. And it's been interesting. I have never done features thinking with kids, but I have been uh, looking at a book that was designed to teach features thinking to kids. And I've been thinking about actually using some of the activities that they are in there for our group to make the activity a little bit more comfortable, you know, we're, it, to make it playful. And we're just having fun and we're just trying to understand what the future looks like, right? Um, what is interesting is that in our group, we are all completely online in different parts of the country. We have never met in person before. So we're creating a community um, and getting to know each other in, in the creativity piece, I think is an important one as, and as we move forward through the exercises and we think about what are the uh, activities and tasks that we're going to um, do to create those different futures that we envision for our institution, um, the question I have been having is, well, how do, how do we do that completely online with a, a group that is completely new to futures thinking? So in my mind, it has been, could we introduce some games that they are maybe a little bit more tailored to younger, you know, students, kids? And could we actually make some of those fun activities come to life in an interaction like this? Because we're new, we would say, to features thinking. So I don't know if anyone has any experience on doing something like that, but it has been something that I've been thinking about. I think the element of making it playful and fun is key. And that if so much about in the media around futures is about uncertainty and fear. And so I think when we're inviting people to come imagine together and to, to engage in this type of futures thinking practice, it's really important that it is done in a playful way. And I think there's also, I would love to hear Dana's take on this. I, I think there's also a connection between playfulness and creativity and that Oh yes. We need to feel uh, 
emotionally safe and psychologically safe before we can be fully imaginative or fully creative. And I think play is a really helpful way for, for getting to those outcomes. Yes. I, w- I was really excited just to hear about the way you're approaching it, um, Maricel, and what you're, how you're thinking about it. And Ruth, that connection to play and creativity is so critical. Cre- play is one of the ways that children sort of start to develop creative um, intelligence over time that leads developmentally um, to creativity in adulthood. And I was also kind of thinking about um, the framing of of futures and creativity and and uncertain as being sort of uncertain and and futures can feel a little bit anxiety inducing and uncertainty as a word kind of has this uncomfortable connotation to it. Things are uncertain. I don't know. I don't really like that. Um, I've written about the fact that creativity really requires a kind of intellectual risk taking that people are often very hesitant to do for good reasons. One is a lot of our systems don't necessarily reward risk-taking if it doesn't go well. Um, And education in particular, teachers are often really nervous or uncomfortable to try something new if there's a fear that it might fail. Um, Students are afraid to get a wrong answer or a bad grade. So if you can kind of open some of that up a little bit and actually frame uncertainty as being a space of possibility. And I was doing a creativity workshop last weekend for teachers and we talked, we opened it up with discussing sort of the uncertain times that we've been in and that everybody um, you know, has a feeling of uncertainty and risk and all of that as being uncomfortable. But can we also think about uncertainty as a space for possibility and for play and for new and better things to emerge? And when you frame it that way and ask people through prompts um, to kind of share and ideas of what they're doing that's good or what what op- opportunities have emerged in the last two years with COVID that you couldn't have done before, a lot of really great things came up. And then that sort of set the tone for people to think about even more possibilities and get more excited about the idea of risk taking. Um, And that actually brought me to um, kind of one of the places where I made that connection after sort of the initial shock of the pandemic and locking down and all of this set in. I remembered reading an article from Ron Bagato, who's, you know, um, the, uh, another um, host of this podcast, which came out in Frontiers, I think, on how Times of crisis serve as a catalyst for creative action and agentic perspective. And really, he sort of thinks about a model for when crisis happens or when uncertain, you're faced with uncertainty. Um, it, there's different responses and one that sort of allows for seeing the potential and taking um, a kind of agentic response is one where things can can be better and get better. And that reminded me, too, of Clarine kind of talking about the fact that as much as there's been stress and trauma through the pandemic, there's also been some new opportunities or places to highlight and point to problems that were kind of swept under the rug before, whether that's inequity or how we deal with technology and education or um, a whole host of things. So I really love that idea of focusing on play and possibility and potential and at least making some space to see uncertainty as um, possibility and not just fear of failure. I really like that, Dana, and will admit too that really helps clarify the connection of your work between creativity and wellness. Because when you position it as possibilities and give space to reflect, that to me is an act of wellness. So I just, yes, it, yes. it kind of was an aha moment for me as I was listening to you describe your work. And curious if Ruth or Maricel ever thought of what they do in the lines of wellness, because I see a lot of parallel there. Oh, I don't, don't think I have anything question. helpful. Yeah, I don't have anything helpful to <laughs> say here fine. other than... Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely like, not. Uh, I should wellness. be doing. I should be doing more. Um, is is the the takeaway? Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, Maricela, okay. well, the connection too. I think both Maricela and and Ruth talked about um, needing to kind of take risks and get people yeah. more comfortable with things that are uncomfortable, and that's yeah. where some of the connection for me came in, which is the idea of. Um, settling down some of that fear of judgment with putting out strange ideas or imagining things. Mm-hmm. And, and the social risk of creativity can be lessened if you're in this sort of safe space, I think was the term Ruth talked about. So we all always talk about teachers creating safe spaces for creativity where you're not mm-hmm. going to get made fun of if you put out a different idea. And it's good to, you know, kind of purposely, intentionally try to make 
things that are familiar, strange. Um, Yeah, we talk a lot about that in creativity, making the familiar strange, how to see things that seem obvious in front of us in new and exciting ways. So... I like that. Maricel, can I pose a question to you? And then, sorry, Rose, we can get back. Um, Yeah, go ahead. I'm curious, Maricel, with your work, who, like, who your actual clients, if you call them clients, are, but, like, how you engage in conversation, what do you start with? Hmm, That's a good question. Um, I don't necessarily call them clients, right? So um, the the group that I work with are primarily... um, our faculty and staff at Purdue Global, right? Um, so we're constantly thinking about um, ways to innovate the institution. But those groups, they have connections to other groups. Um, so for example, the deans might have um, a board with um, uh, companies that they work with. And um, so the idea is, well, I'm connecting directly to a dean that is going to then connect to an external entity of the university, right? So it, my main client, if we want to call that, will be our immediate faculty and staff and administrators of the university, but then we connect outside of the university according to whatever work we're doing if that makes sense it does make sense I was just trying to get a better sense of what types like how do you open them up because I've heard from Ruth and and um Dana and this might be obviously I'll edit it out my chatter right here but trying to get a better sense of like the types of questions or how you engage with people or get to that point of a safe space if you use that analogy like they both did so in your work like how do you get folks to start thinking about possibilities in future? Like what what types of either prompts or, or examples do you maybe could speak to? Yeah, um, so I think it, you know, part of creating a safe space for our groups is, is taking a little bit of that time and trying to understand um, the goal of the project that we're trying to um, achieve. And so, the, the idea always is, and I always tell um, the different groups that I become a member of their team, right? So I'm usually um, embedded into a specific project with a group that is formed somewhere else. And so the safest space that we're making is usually an opportunity for them to be with their colleagues, the people that they know. And I'm just coming in into that group to have a conversation or to explore a new opportunity with them. Um, the other type of activities that we do is bring in different groups together. Um, so, for example, the strategic foresight, foresight team that, that we currently have is a group of uh, faculty and staff from different parts of the university coming together. Some of them have worked together before. Some of them have not. Right. So we are working towards that process of creating this team, right, feeling safe in the environment and knowing that we're all doing something completely new, right? They most likely have never done foresight before. Um, And so part of the activities that we do is just getting to know each other, thinking about how this project that we're working on is going to help us achieve a specific goal. And in this case is how do we think about strategies for the university in the long term? So we're, we're creating safe spaces by creating an environment where they feel comfortable with each other. And again, completely online, right? So they're all in different parts of the country coming together to think about how do we together achieve in a specific goal? Yeah, that's, that's, that's fascinating. And I think, um, you know, kind of coming back, we keep, I keep hearing some of these same terms too. And, and, and one thing, you know, I think Dana, I think it was you who brought up, you know, this idea of, and Clarin, you kind of framed it as this idea of, of wellness too. I think there's something really powerful there um, that I hadn't really considered before, which is, you know, so first of all, just thank you, because this, this has given me a whole nother, like, angle and, and, and component here to think about when, you know, in, in terms of my work um, that revolves around futures thinking elements. But one of the, a, a term that was kind of thrown around a little bit ago, I think is um, just fascinating to kind of, to, 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 to touch on quickly is the idea of uncertainty, right? Um, and, you know, there's a, there's so much there. We could do a whole nother podcast episode and probably should, um, just exploring more in detail, this, this idea of uncertainty and, and what, what that is, you know, it is both a, a, a mindset, a space, but it could also be a place for creativity, for things to come in. And I think one of the really interesting roles of something like futures thinking is to explore that space of uncertainty, um, and really sort of 
taking this idea of how can we reduce um, what you might call like future shock, right? Um, how do we how do we enable learners to see or perceive um, changes as as normal? And that what we're not really doing, you know, we're, again, we we talked about this, you know, at the beginning. Futures thinking is not about predicting the future. It's about preparing for the uncertainties that are inherent everywhere in our personal lives, in our professional lives, as a global, you know, uh, shiny blue ball hurtling through space and time. Um, all these these ideas of uncertainty and really working and using something like futures thinking to create a space that can foster hope about the future rather than fear, because it gives you an opportunity to actually engage with that uncertainty and explore it. Or maybe in another a phrase, you know, you can kind of, you can take a, a flashlight to that dark space and kind of shine light on it and start looking in and exploring and, and seeing what that looks like. But I, you know, it would be interesting to think about that too, just as we kind of continue to explore this idea of creating that safe space you know, how, how can we do that? How do we create these, these ideas of, of, you know, imagination and safe spaces and, and, and trying to do that in a, in a school context even? Sean, I love everything you're saying right now. And I think it highlights the importance of getting futures thinking into our K-12 schools and particularly our middle schoolers. Because if we can give our young people the tools to deal with uncertainty, the tools for greater resiliency, the tools to think about and have agency and self-efficacy for the futures, then that really gets at what I think the goal of education is. And so there are lots of ways of doing this, but I think bringing futures thinking into classrooms, it might be through history classes to highlight the importance of connecting our futures with our past and our presence, or it could be through social studies to think about community futures, or perhaps it's embedded with several different curriculum angles, but I think it's incredibly important that we start thinking about how we get these tools into the hands of our young peoples so that they're better prepared to live their futures. And I, I actually want to tag on to something Ruth just mentioned there, um, which is the idea of, um, of bringing it into classrooms and having the and having futures thinking or these practices become part of the way that students think and learn. Because I think, as you said it, um, uncertainty is is dealing with uncertainty and being prepared to deal with uncertainty, which is everything that's ahead of us, is part of the purpose of education. And that's where I often make the connection to um, the importance of creativity in, in education and, and for preparing for students to learn how to deal with the future and the uncertainty. Creativity is one of the ways that we do that and being able to handle these open-ended, um, complex, uncertain spaces and start to think about how we can address problems and challenges or just deal with um, not only whatever is in front of us, but whatever is coming. So I think that's really important. And also connecting to something that Sean mentioned and, and Clarine as well about um, people often, I sometimes worry that people will think when I start talking about creativity and all of the many threads of my interest that that I'm bouncing all over the place, but I see them as super interrelated and connected. And so in that sense, I can see a space for the the focus on well-being in futures as well as creativity. My interest in well-being really kind of came about when I got interested in mindfulness as a place to um, reduce fear of judgment and to help us not be so attached to um, pre-existing conceptions of what's already there and instead think about um, intentionally what could be there. So that makes me think about the idea of future spaces as being uncertain and what can we do to reduce the fear and the risk. There, there's something that we oftentimes miss when we talk about creativity or futures or imagination is that there's an inherently emotional quality to it um, in the sense that there can be fear in that quite naturally. And not only because some of the systems of education are designed in a way that don't necessarily promote um, learning from failure or being creative um, and all of that good stuff. But also there's a, an evolutionary aspect to um, uncertainty where, wherein if you look through our evolutionary past, being uncertain was not usually a good thing. If you, if you heard a rustle in the brush, you had to immediately make a snap decision that it was probably something dangerous and go from there. So we're oftentimes working with very deeply grounded um, emotions and, and feelings um, 
and experiences that people might have when they start to project forward into the future or think about where we've been and where we're going. And then just, you know, the social risk of if I put a weird idea out there, is it, am I going to feel awkward? Is it going to be embarrassing? Am I going to get it wrong? All of that. So I think the more that we can do to cultivate and kind of bring futures and creativity together in classrooms while also recognizing that it's a, that uncertain spaces are uncomfortable and how can we support people through that, that's a really powerful thing. I would also like to tag along to the message uh, from Ruth and, and Dana um, and extend it to higher education, right? So I absolutely believe that futures thinking needs to be taught in K through 12, but also in higher ed. So we live in a, in a world that is uncertain, that is complex, right? Um, that is volatile and ambiguous. Um, so this is something that we need to consider. Um, how do we help our students at all levels develop an anticipatory competency, a skill that is going to help them understand and figure out how to live in this very complex world. So in very short, this is definitely something I would, I would love to see at all levels of higher education uh, and definitely in higher education in an in, in area that I am uh, working. Yeah, excellent. You know, just again, I'd like to thank, you know, each of you for, for taking the time to join us today to discuss this exciting area of inquiry and practice that is futures thinking. I mean, I know I could talk futures thinking, strategic foresight, future studies for hours. Um, so, uh, and hopefully people would listen to it. I don't know. That's always, the, that's always the big question. But I think we'll certainly be circling back to this theme time again, because as we discovered here, just in this conversation, there are so many elements that come in and, and are connected around futures thinking and the broader application of, of learning futures and things like that. And so, I mean, what an amazing panel. I mean, you know, just, you know, Dana, Ruth, uh, Maricel, thank you for joining Clarin and I um, today to have this conversation. There's so much amazing work, even just the short period of time, there's so much amazing work discussed. Um, and we'll be sure to drop all that stuff into the show notes so that you can follow along on social media or whatever and get in touch um, and see what what everyone's up here. Um, just before we, we go, just was curious if anyone had any, any last sort of comments or thoughts or anything they'd like to plug um, that doesn't have to be related to futures thinking before we sort of sign off. I don't know never, if I have anything. Go ahead. Okay. No, you go first. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you all today. And it's always, um, it's always been delightful when I've gotten to talk with either you, um, Sean or Clarin about futures or my creativity work or anything like that. And I've also had the pleasure of working with Maricel and um, connecting with Ruth. And I hope we get to do a lot more of that. We don't often get the chance to just come together and, and talk about ideas. So this has been really exciting. Um, I, and I don't really have anything to plug right now, but I guess I just wanted to add one more thought that I didn't touch on. This has been a really fascinating conversation for me around sort of the intentional connections between creativity and futures thinking that I've always sort of talked about and known was there um, and explored kind of incidentally in my work, but coming off of this conversation, I, I feel like I need to advocate for a more intentional connection between the creativity researchers and the futures researchers, because, <laughs> um, you know, I, I often read the creativity research journal and, and journal of creative behavior, and there's some amazing creativity researchers in there, but they're oftentimes doing work in this sort of psychological space or some of the kind of um, known and already explored areas of creativity. And i looked at and kind of read through the futures journal. And I'd love to see more of the creativity researchers in that journal and more of the futures researchers <laughs> in the journal and more kind of um, connections between the two. So I, I'm hoping we can all work together and connect in the future for more of this. Yeah, let's make it happen. Futures work, yep. I Excellent. think that's awesome. I, uh, because I'm never above a shameless plug, is I'll drop in the chat, um, and I don't know if there's show notes or anything that yep. goes on, but um, an example of futures thinking and world building that we've done recently is with in collaboration with the Smithsonian Institute. And we did a series of workshops with eight different museum units and research units to explore possible futures of their discipline. And the Smithsonian opened up a whole exhibit on futures in the arts and industry buildings in November, and it will be open until July. And so if anyone is in the DC area and wants to learn more about futures more broadly and see about uh, some products of world building, 
I encourage uh, folks to check it out. Great. Maricel, any, any, last, any last thoughts? Um, you know, something to share perhaps, and, and I had a lot of fun a couple, a couple of weeks ago when I participated in the College Learning Futures Collaboratives. Um, that one was really interesting to me. Uh, faculty at ASU and other doctor, doctor students that they are participating um, in this collaborative, it, it was fantastic if, if any of you, and Clarine, I think you were in that group, weren't you? I think I have seen you in the collaborative. Um, but that was that was fantastic. So definitely something to to participate in and, and learn from other researchers that they're looking at uh, the future of their area of expertise. I was just going to thank everybody again, too, for joining today and, and say as the person in the virtual space who felt they knew the least about learning futures, I feel confident now. I, I appreciate your your examples and the experiences that you're able to share to help me better understand. And I also feel optimistic. So I appreciate um, all of your thoughtfulness and you sharing your work today. I feel good about the futures. Thanks to people like you all out there helping everybody else. This is super fun. Uh, I've talked with any of you any day. So thank you for arranging this and the invitation. Awesome. Shall we channel our inner our inner um, Ron and say that's a wrap? Yeah, well, that's what that's exactly what we're <laughs> headed towards right here. So you know, just again, real briefly, you know, we will put uh, as much information and links to to relevant works and projects and social media handles, all that kind of stuff, in the show notes. Um, so if you're listening to this, you can um, have an opportunity to see what's going on in more detail or follow um, individuals to see kind of what's going on through those social medias. So again. Thanks for joining us today on the Learning Futures podcast. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Learning Futures podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and details. If your podcast player allows for reviews, please leave us a five-star review. Let us know how we're doing. Tell the world what you think. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll be sure to never miss an episode. The Learning Futures Podcast is produced at the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College at Arizona State University. The executive producer is Dr. Sean Leahy, and the show is produced by Dr. Clarin Collins and Karina Munoz-Baltazar.